Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. presence. What place does his presence have with how I think? 
presence of God, does it affect the vision I have for my life? Does it impact the, the purpose that I'm striving, the focus? Does it impact, does the one thing, David, David would ask, does the one thing, does it change my behavior? Does it impact my choices, my attitude, my career, my, my beliefs, my emotions? Are my emotions subject to the one thing that I'm seeking after? That's the presence of God. And to really get into this conversation this week, we're going to look at a guy named Moses. Moses, a lot of us, if you grew up in or around church, you're probably kind of familiar with Moses. We're talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments, Moses and and, and the burning bush, take your feet, take your shoes off because the land you're standing on is holy. Like Moses, all of that. You know, we're talking Moses. And, and Moses is like, Moses is, in, in the Jewish faith tradition, Moses is the man. Like he holds a high, high place of honor. And rightly so. Like we should honor Moses. Moses is the one who ascended the mountain and came down with the, the tablets of, of stone written by God, his commandments to his people. Moses is the one who stepped into Egypt while the people were in bondage and said, God said, let his people go. And he got a whole nation free from Egyptian slavery, uh, guided them through the wilderness to the, to the edge of this promised land that God had given to their forefather, Abraham. Like, Moses is a pretty big deal. In fact, we could even say, like, like Moses is a high watermark of relationship with God in the Old Testament. He was, he was God's answer to 400 years of prayer from the nation of Israel. Deliver us, God. Lord, save us from our Egyptian bondage. God, deliver us. And so the Lord hears all of these prayers. And look what happens. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. It says, and God heard their groaning. For 400 years, they've been just, they, they, they've been slave workers to this Egyptian empire, to Pharaoh. And every whim that he, every building project that he wanted to to go into, he had a he had a, a subjugated labor force ready to build it in the Hebrews, in the Israelites. And they're groaning, they're crying out to God, and, and it says that God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then look at verse 25. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So God answers their prayer. And, and God God often, listen, this is something that's really cool about God. God will often answer the prayer of his people by raising up a person whom his favor rests upon. The very next words, like that's the end of chapter 2. In chapter 3, the first two words of chapter 3 are now Moses. So God hears the cry of his people. And his, his choice of action is to raise up a person on whom his favor rests. Because God, here's the thing about God. God will often choose people knowing they are the key to touching other people's lives. So you, listen, make no mistake about this. You were chosen by God because he loves you. First and foremost. God 
loves you. That's why he's chosen. But he's also chosen you and, and, and positioned you in this unique spot because somebody's been praying for deliverance. And you're the key to, to their deliverance. Just like, just like God heard the cry of Israel for deliverance and so he, he, he raised up a person, there are people in your life, in your circle, Whose, whose spirit has been crying out for freedom and God wants to cause his presence to rest upon you so that you can be the key to unlocking their future. We, we put it this way a couple, uh, probably about a month ago. There are people near you that need you. There are people near you that need you. His, God's love, grace, and power has come into you your life because he wants to take that and display through you his love, grace, and power to them. So there, are, there is somebody near you that needs you. So God raises up Moses because God knew. God knew that Hebrew word in Exodus chapter 2 verse 25 is, is the Hebrew word yada, which is to literally to know, but not like mentally, cognitively know facts about. It's, it's more experiential than that. It's, it's a knowing that, that is an intimate relationship. In Genesis chapter uh, 4, it says, I think it's chapter 4, it says that Adam knew Eve again and conceived and they had a kid named Seth. That's the word yada. It's this intimate knowing. It's the knowing that like a husband and wife have with each other, right? Like it's this knowing that best friends have with each other. It's this it's this, I don't know, just know facts about you. Like, I know Michael Jordan, right? But I don't know him. It's this knowing that's based in experience. And it's this knowing that is, it's not one way. It's this give and take kind of knowing. So what it is, God, God sees his people in this Egyptian bondage, this Egyptian slavery. And he says, he says, I'm going to set that nation up. To be a nation that I know and that knows me. That has this relationship with me. That's based on experience. That we relate to each other in a way that I don't relate to anybody else on the planet yet. Because his purpose is to know them, for them to know him. And then through them that the whole world would come to know God. And to do all of that first thing God does is he chooses Moses. He chooses Moses to be the example of what he wants to do in the whole nation. God's, God's presence, God's spirit rests upon Moses and what he's about to do in and through Moses, he wants to do through the whole nation. He wants to bring all of the people into this experience, this, this intimacy with God that had never been experienced before. And the first thing he does is he says, Moses, I want to do in you what I'm going to do through you in them. Now, we were talking about impossible things earlier. That's a pretty intimidating assignment, right? Like, can you, this is why Moses, like, goes back and forth with God. This is why Moses is like talking to the burning bush. He's like, I don't think I can do that. Because this is an intimidating assignment. How do you do, how do you, how do you become the thing that God wants to do in all of the people? He's 
like a prototype. And Moses is like, God, I don't think I can do that. So he and God have this back and forth. And then eventually in, in Psalm chapter 3, verse 10, here's what God tells Moses. This is his assignment. God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Sending you, Moses, to bring freedom to my people. Moses says to God, he says, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, this, this assignment is too impossible. I can't do this in my own power. I can't, God, I can't do what you're calling me. I can't go bring freedom to them. Listen how God responds. Verse 12, God says, I will be with you. My presence will go with you. Moses, I know if this is the focus of your life, it's impossible. But Moses, if you'll focus on me and the relationship, my going with you, this will be the fruit of my presence resting upon your life. And God says, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses' assignment has two components. Number one, he's supposed to go to Egypt and bring freedom to the slaves, to the, to the Israelites, to the Hebrews. So on one hand, Moses' purpose is to bring freedom to people. On the other hand, Moses' purpose is to bring them back to this mountain so that they can worship God. So that they can take that first step into the relationship with God that Moses has already enjoyed. God, Moses has already met with God on, on the, in the desert, in the wilderness, in the burning bush. He's already begun that relationship, and God wants him to bring the people, bring them out of freedom, bring them through freedom to this mountain so that they can experientially know God. They can, have, they can experience his presence. And you see this over and over again as Moses confronts Pharaoh, the refrain that's repeated time and time again in Exodus. Moses, speaking for God, tells Pharaoh, says, let my people go, freedom, that they may worship me. Freedom, let them go so they can worship, they can know me. So Moses was to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of Egyptian captivity to this mountain in order that they might worship God. And that's exactly, like, read the story, man. Read the, the first half of the book of Exodus. That is exactly what happened. Moses and, and, and Aaron, they confront Pharaoh, and, and there's the plagues, right? There's the frogs and the locusts and the flies, and the, the Nile turns to blood, and, and it's, it's what happens. And then, and then finally Pharaoh's like, just get out of here, and Moses brings the people through the Red Sea, and, and God like parts it, and then puts it back together, and drowns the Egyptian army, and then Moses brings them to the mountain, just like God told him to. He brings them to the mountain to worship God, to become a people whose core identity was forged in this freedom worship relationship. Because worship is powerful, right? Like we've said it, and it's not, we, we didn't, we didn't uh, come up with this on our, on our own. Other people have said this, but, but we, the reason worship is powerful is because we always become like what we worship. We become like the one we worship, which is why God wants us to worship him. This is why God has called Moses to bring freedom to the Israelites, then bring them to this mountain so that they may worship him because God wants his people to become like him. And so worship, wor worship is, isn't, it is our response to God, but it's also God's offensive weapon against the enemy. 
It's the, it's the way that God attacks the enemy by forming a people in his image. And the enemy hates worship like the devil do. He hates, he's, he's afraid of a worshiping people. He's not afraid of a complacently worshiping people. Because in fact, like complacent worship actually deadens you to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Because it's just, it's like, it's just motions and it's just, it's just like ho-hum and it's not, it's, it's not worship. And so it actually makes us desensitized to the spirit. But what we see, this is what's really cool. We're going to go back and look at that interchange between Moses and Pharaoh as he's bringing freedom to the Israelites. Because I think that in that interchange, we see the plan of the enemy. We see how, how Satan works through Pharaoh to, to block the Israelites from stepping fully into the presence of God. And I don't think his strategy has changed thousands of years later. In fact, the four things that we're going to look at, I think he still uses today to block our access to the presence of God. And, and they're all about worship. Let me show you this. There's four things that block the presence. Number one, look at this. Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. So Moses already said, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. He summons Moses and Aaron. And he says to Moses and Aaron, he says, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. Go sacrifice but do it in, go worship, but do it here in this land. You see, the first thing the enemy will, will try to use to block your access to the presence is convenience. Because convenience and sacrifice cannot coexist. Non-sacrificial people, here's what the enemy knows, non-sacrificial people are no threat to the enemy. People who just want to stay in their convenience. This is one of the reasons that one of the core values here at Vertical is that we bleed for this, man. Jesus gave everything for us, so we're going to passionately give everything for him because he wants a people of sacrifice. He wants a people who will inconvenience themselves for his glory, and sometimes we fail to reach the destiny that God has for us because we insist on it happening within these borders. You can go sacrifice, Pharaoh says, but do it here in this land. And we, we, we come into our relationship with God, and sometimes it's like, well, you know, I've got to do it with balance, or I've got to do it within reason, or I don't want to put a lot of effort into this. Or, or sometimes people, like, with really, you know, bless their heart kind of uh, attitudes, they'll say something like, well, you know, um, I think, I just think, you know, if it's God's will to move, he'll move. He knows we're hungry, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll take care of it. Listen, God's not an Uber driver. God's not bouncing around the universe waiting on a notification that you need help. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose, and his, his purpose is one that we have to step into. We have to move in the direction of his, of his plan. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, this is so cheesy, it said, wise men still travel, right? Like, still seek him. You know, like, wise men from Christmas. I know it's October. We're not even Halloween yet, but I listened to Christmas music the other day, so there it is. Um, wise men.
wise men still seek him. That's what it said. Wise men still seek him. And it, it's cheesy, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Wise men still travel hundreds and thousands of miles because they saw a star. And God said, follow that star. And they said, well, that's inconvenient, but God said, so I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to follow that thing. Number, number two, so that didn't work. So here's what Pharaoh does next. Moses and Aaron, let my people go so that they can come worship God. Pharaoh says, verse 28 of chapter 8, I'll let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Okay, I'll let you go. You don't have to do it in this land. All right, convenience isn't going to work, obviously. But don't go very far. You can do it. You can go in the wilderness, but don't go crazy. And fear of fanaticism has kept many believers from their destiny. Because there's one step of like, oh, that's kind of inconvenient. But then there's another step that's like, man, are they going to think I'm crazy? They're going to think I'm one of those crazy Christians. I'm just, I'm like one of those radical believers. Like, like they're going to think I'm weird and strange. Like, I think God's telling me to do this, but man, they're going to look at me like I'm nuts. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to mirror his devotion. That's exactly what he said in different words. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. That's over the top. That's fanatical. Sometimes you, the enemy will use the fear of what they think about you to keep you from the purpose and destiny that he's called you to. Because if he can just keep you, okay, I can't keep you in the land. You're going you're gonna to inconvenience yourself. Just don't go too far. No, no, pastor, I just think, man, you're just going too far. Listen, I, I'm, just, I'm just stepping out of trust. Like, I just want to trust him. And, and when I think he's saying something, I just want to take a risk and like, I think God's saying this. And if I'm wrong, then I'll repent. But I'll, if I'm not, then man, God's moving. And people get touched and people get healed. And so you can, deep, here's the thing. Deep is still calling out to deep. And the deepness of God is still searching for the deepness of human that will respond to him. And sometimes we don't step into the fullness of what God has for our lives because we don't want to look crazy. We don't want to go too far. Go too far. Okay, if you do, that's what like pastors and leaders and, and friends are for. Man. Like, pull you back. But go for it. And number three, look at this. The, again, Exodus chapter 10, verse 10. Pharaoh says, The Lord be with you if I let you go. Along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, Pharaoh says. Have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Now listen, it's no secret that the devil wants to divide the family unit. He wants to splinter generations. But can I tell you that his purpose and plan is also to silence the voice of worship coming from women and children? The de Listen, ladies in the room, the devil doesn't like your voice. Part of his plan to keep, the, to keep us blocked from the presence is to suppress the voice of women and children. This is, why, this is why we put all of the energy and effort into making sure kids' church happens every week. 
Because the presence of God, if, if we, like statistics say, you know, I don't remember what the stat is exactly, and I'm not going to make it up, but you are much less likely to have a relationship with Jesus if you don't start it before you turn 18. Because if he can keep the children, then, then they don't, you know, the scripture says train up a child in the way you should go, and then when they're older, they won't depart from it. How many stories, some of us that were like that, like we grew up in church, then we had this season where we went away, and then God started calling us back because there was a seed planted in that heart that could grow and that could be, that deep could call out to deep and respond. And so the enemy wants to silence the voices of women and children, which should testify to their importance. <laughs> it should show us that we got to, we like men in the room, listen, it should show us that we've got to open our ears to the voice of our, of our, of our sisters. And we've got to open our ears to the voice of our kids. For 2,000 years, check this, like for, you, can, you can chart the history for 2,000 years. Every time a culture has moved toward the gospel or the gospel has, has infiltrated a culture, the situation of women and children have always improved. Because God has a heart for women and children. And every time a culture has moved away from the presence of God, moved away from, the, from, from God, the situation of women and children declined. Every time. Every time. Because there's nothing as fierce of an opponent to the powers of darkness than when worship is unified. Sons and daughters, young and old, black and white and brown, celebrating their differences and bringing them into the presence of God to celebrate their unity in Him. And there's something powerful about that and the enemy knows. That's why he uses it to block us from the presence. Number four, check this out. Exodus chapter 10, verse 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and, uh, and Aaron, Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. All right, Moses, I get it. Convenience isn't going to work. The fear of fanaticism is not going to work. You're not going to hush the, the voices of the women and children in your group. It's not going to work. So Moses, all of that's fine. Just leave your flocks and herds behind. I'll concede. I'll concede, all, I'll concede control of, of, of everything as long as you let me have control of your wealth. Else is fine. Come on, what, what offering of importance can I give to God that doesn't include my possessions or my money? Because this is the tried and true tactic of the enemy. Surrender everything that you have to God as long as I can control your bank account. As long as I can control what you spend and how you purchase. But that's not true worship. True worship involves my whole being. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's intellectual. And it is financial. True worship will, will influence and impact my relationships with my family, my choices, my daily plans. Because it's all about him. It's all about his presence. It's all about the one thing that we could ask of the Lord. So Israel, this generation of slaves was called to greatness, and the first step in the calling to greatness was to come to God and worship Him so that they could know Him, He would know them, and through the knowing, the whole world would know God. And so eventually Pharaoh gives up. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, he says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship 
God will stop at nothing to preserve what is important to him. God will, God will stop at nothing to destroy anything that would separate us from his love. A people called to worship him. And Israel's journey is wild, man. It's so long, but, but it's even it's Moses' journey that like we can lean into because Moses, Moses is becoming the example of what the nation could, could enter into. In fact, Moses even prayed in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. Moses' prayer was, was this. Look, look, look. Moses said, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses' Moses's attitude was like, I know I'm a prototype. I know that like what God is doing in me, he wants to do in the world. But I wish that like, I wish everybody had what I had. That everybody's life could be like this. So Moses, man, Moses stands as an invitation to all of us of what is actually possible. What is actually possible in relationship with God? Moses, Moses' life is inviting us to enter a deeper place of the awareness of the presence of God in our lives. And yet, here's the thing about Moses that I think we miss sometimes and we sell ourselves short. Everything Moses experienced, because Moses experienced a lot, right? Like Moses met with God, the glory cloud would descend upon the tent of meeting with Moses would go in and he would talk with God like one talks with a friend. One time Moses asked to see God's glory and God caused his goodness to pass by and Moses' face radiated with the glory of God. All of that. Experienced under an inferior covenant with God. An inferior relationship. That's what the word covenant means. Everything Moses experienced, and it should be honored, it should be esteemed, it would be foolish not to, but it would be equally foolish not to realize that the high water mark of Moses is beneath the experience of a New Testament believer. Everything that Moses experienced. Listen, how terrible would it be if Moses, who was not born again by the blood of Jesus, not under the sacrifice of Jesus' blood, Moses, who lived before the full measure of the Holy Spirit was released on the day of Pentecost, how terrible would it be if Moses reached heights in a relationship with God that you and I never enter into? We never see. He couldn't approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. He didn't have the spirit living inside of him like we have access to the spirit. And you don't get superior blessings from an inferior relationship. You don't. And I know we read Moses and we're like, oh man, I wish, if only, if I could. Moses reads you and says, I wish. If only I had access to what you have through Jesus. Listen, Jesus' death made it possible for people to come directly into the presence of God every day. Like we all can be people of his presence. But not only that, his presence doesn't just have to rest upon us. It can live inside of us permanently. And that's far better than what Moses had. That's so infinitely better than what Moses had. This is exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
Well, look at this real quick, and then we're about, to, we're about to wrap up. He says, now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old relationship, the old way of relating to God, if that thing came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, because it was shining from the goodness of God, transitory though it was, because here's what happened to Moses. He would have this experience with God, and then he would be glowing for a few days, and then it would fade away. The shine would wear off. Paul says, Paul says the old relationship, the old covenant, the old way, what Moses lived under was glorious. It was, it was glorious. And if that was glorious, he goes on, he says, if that was glorious, verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? We sell ourselves short when we try to live up to the standard of Moses. God is calling us to greater things, a revelation of his goodness that can make your face glow with his glory and his glory that doesn't fade away. It doesn't wear off the shine, doesn't disappear. Could it be that God wants to cause the face of his church to shine with his goodness, with his presence, and never fade? Never fade to be people who glow from spending time in his presence every day, wherever we go to live in such a way that the glory remains. Moses couldn't have the presence remain. He was living under an inferior covenant. And we can. Because when I read my Bible, like, I know that may, like, for some of us here, man, that may sound like really over the top. Like, really? You think what? Like, me, I'm, I'm, just, I'm like a shipyard worker. Like, you think I can live in a relationship with God closer than Moses had? Yes. Because that's what my Bible tells me. Like, that's what's in there. When I read it, it's like, that looks possible. And if it's not the reality of my life, then the problem isn't with him. And that's not to, like, make anybody feel guilty or full of shame or anything. It's just meant to be a motivation to step into the presence, to step into time with God so that you can step into your destiny and your purpose and the glory of God that doesn't have to fade away. And listen, there have been people who have done this. Church history is full of, of stories. And, and hopefully you go ahead and come up. I just want to tell this one quick story and then, and then wrap up and pray and just ask you, like, what, what's blocking you from the presence there have been people who have reached, like, they've reached these places in God that we long for. And the truth is, these people throughout church history, their, their story of breakthrough is meant to be the place we start. Their story of breakthrough is actually meant to be the norm of our life. There's this, there's this story of Charles Finney. Charles Finney was an American revivalist in the 1800s. He lived in and around the New York area. And he, he ministered and he was, a, he was a preacher. And not only that, but he was also, a lot of people don't know this, he was an abolitionist and he was an advocate for women's rights. Like he stood up for people who were, who were enslaved and he also stood up for women who didn't have a voice in the 1800s. Charles Finney, like, check it out, it's really cool. But there's this one story that just like blows my mind. It just stands out and it's particularly poignant for this message. Charles Charles Finney walks into this factory 
one morning after breakfast. This is in the 1800s, okay? So a little bit ago, but not that long ago. Like, it's not Jesus' time, right? He goes into this factory after breakfast. All the women in there are working, and, and they're weaving, and they're looming, and they're spinning their machines. and they're just, It's a mill, and they're just they're fabricating, creating stuff. He steps into this factory. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't open his mouth. It's, it's just after breakfast. And he's just walking through the, through the factory. And he gets about eight to ten feet from these two women. And immediately they just break down and just burst out in tears. Because of the presence of God that's on Charles Finney. They, they immediately start crying out to God. And then he doesn't say a word. He doesn't open his mouth. Person after person, till the whole room is crying out to God. He doesn't speak a word. The owner of the factory, who wasn't a believer at the time, notices what's going on, shuts the whole business down, and a mini revival breaks out right there. And it all started with one person who glowed with the presence of God. And it didn't happen every day, but it happened that day. And what it tells us is as crazy and ridiculous as that sounds, that's in God's playbook. That's on God's resume. When God opened up the playbook for that day for Charles Finney's life, he chose that play. And he said, run this one, Charles. God's got the same playbook for your life. What's blocking you from stepping into the presence? From hosting the presence like that, where your presence glows with his presence, and you don't have to speak a word and people start feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Is it, is it convenience? Is it fear? inadequate because you're young or because you're a female? Are you holding on to this area of your life? Maybe it's your finances and you're holding that back and it's blocking you from entering into true worship, to true presence. What is it? What, what about what about you? What if you are the next Charles Finney? What if you were the next person who walks into your business and shuts the place down because revival breaks out? You don't say a word. It's just the presence of God on your life draws people to Jesus. Why can't it be you? Why can't it be me? Why can't it be us? Jesus has forgiven our sin. The Holy Spirit wants to live in our lives. How will we respond to his invitation? Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for the privilege of, of being your son, God, being your children, being your daughters. Lord, we don't want anything to stop or prevent the presence of God from resting on our lives. Lord, would you just highlight right now, if one of those things is just holding us back, like you're ready to do so much more, you're ready to do immeasurably more, you're ready to do greater things than these we can just refuse 
doesn't get to dictate the terms of your worship. Darkness doesn't get to influence the terms of your worship. Darkness doesn't get to dictate how you live your life. Light does. So God, we just invite the light of Christ to illuminate our hearts. We don't want to live in response to the enemy. We want to live in response to the presence. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.